0: So, uh, today, this is the second to the last sermon in the sermon series. We've been uh, kind of centered on God's power being made perfect in our weakness, and we've been taking a look at several people in Scripture who display this, right, uh, the being very weak people, and yet God was able to work his power in them, right? And now, before we go into the sermon, I'm going to just say a prayer. God, you are good, and you alone are good. Lord, there's a lot of turmoil in our world, there's a lot of violence in our world, and Lord, we ask for your peace, we ask for your comfort for the victims of so much violence on our earth. And God, we pray that you would give us your spirit to always sanctify us through your spirit to make us look like your son, your son who is full of love, full of grace, and full of mercy. It's in his name we pray, amen. You know, we all have somebody or maybe a few people we look up to in life. But there's a reality that we got to face. There's a reality that there are people that we look up to, people that we put on pedestals that will disappoint us. See, uh, there was somebody I looked up to when I was in high school. He was a preacher. I'm not going to mention his name, of course, but he was a preacher at my home congregation, right? And I looked up to him. I had him on a pedestal. truly he was a great preacher, he was a good person to look up to, he was a good person, but he ended up leaving the church and I came to find out why he was there in the first place. He was really only in Waco to get his, or rather, mainly in Waco to get his master's from Baylor University. You see, the church, the church I grew up in was merely a stepping stone for him to get his master's and then eventually to go to Abilene to get his doctorate. And so in high school I felt betrayed. I looked up to this person so much. He's one of the reasons why I wanted to start preaching, and yet he just used the church I grew up in as a stepping stone. I was disappointed. And truly, he is a good man. He's a great preacher, but I was disappointed. We have a tendency to put people on pedestals, but the reality is they are going to disappoint us. Anybody you put on a pedestal will disappoint you at some time. You see, I think many believers, they put one character in the Bible on a pedestal that probably doesn't deserve it, King David. Many believers have put King David on a pedestal, even though he was a weak human being like the rest of us. And some people will say, well, he's described as a man after God's own heart. Surely somebody with that title deserves a pedestal. But I think people have taken that phrase, a man after God's own heart, and they've translated it, whether consciously or subconsciously, as a man who had God's own heart. You see, one thing needs to be clear. David did not have God's own heart. He was only after it. Just like we all, we can be after God's own heart, which means to be after God's character, to be like God in character. But in our present condition, we cannot obtain it to its fullest extent. You see, while David, he was a king, while he was king, he was also a very, very weak man, a man with flaws. And arguably one of his biggest flaws was that he was a man of blood. See, usually when David is preached, people preach about his great victories. Whether it be his victory over Goliath or whether it be when he finally takes the throne by showing grace to Saul. Instead of focusing on these victories, I want to focus on arguably his biggest flaw. The fact that he was a man of blood. But what makes him a man of blood in the first place? See, in 2 Samuel chapter 16... 2 Samuel chapter 16 verses 5 through 14, we first see this title given to him. And so 2 Samuel chapter 16 verses 5 through 14 say this, when King David came to Barim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he continually cursed And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of the king David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said, as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood." Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because of the Lord, he has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all, to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went alongside the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself." Now, Shimei, as we see in the text, he's a member of the house of Saul, so there's probably good reason for him to be angry. He probably thinks that David is responsible for Saul's death, and he seems to think David is a man of blood because of Saul's death. Now I don't think that's the reason, right? Remember, David did not kill Saul. David did not want to kill Saul, even though he had every opportunity to do so. So then what makes David a man of blood? You see, Shimei, he's right about one thing, Absalom, that is David's son, he rebels and he attempts to take the kingdom. Notice verse 8 again. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is upon you, for you are a man of blood. See, Shimei, he's right about the consequence David faced, for one of them. Absalom rebelling and eventually Absalom dying. And notice that David, he does not order for Shimei to be immediately killed because he has that kind of power. He could have said, go kill him, commander. He doesn't do that. But because David, he seems to understand why he's probably being cursed because he's well aware of his past sin. Verses 11 and 12 say, and David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has what has told him to. It may be that the Lord has told him to. Obviously, there's got to be a reason for that. And so we're left pondering what exactly makes David a man of blood. And we get some more hints in First Chronicles. I'm going to be doing some skipping around a little bit. First Chronicles chapter 22. First Chronicles 22, verses 7 and 8. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. And then again in First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name for you are a man of war and have shed much blood. So here we see that war is cited, but then a general kind of statement. You've shed much blood. Well, what blood? Where did he earn this title? You see, essentially all the wars David fought up until Second Samuel chapter 7, they're described as part of God's will. So what is it? If not those wars, what makes him a man of blood? See, I think this title is first earned in Second Samuel chapter 11 through 12. Now I'm not going to read all this. We're kind of familiar with this, right? Second Samuel chapter 11 through 12, David and Bathsheba, right? He's out on his balcony looking over his kingdom, his kingdom he sees Bathsheba. And guess what arises in David's heart? Lust. David sees Bathsheba and guess what he does? He forcefully takes her. Let's not soften this, okay? He forcefully takes Bathsheba. Forcefully. And then guess what he does? He conceives with her. And then after that, guess what he does? He kills her husband, Uriah. And then Nathan comes, Nathan the prophet. He comes to David in Second Samuel chapter 12. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the Lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, of the Ammonites. Really? A man after God's own heart did this? Remember, he was only after God's own heart. Clearly, he did not have God's own heart. So what exactly makes David a man of blood? Well, see, you notice verse 10 again. Verse 10, the the, the pronouncement of what's going to happen to him. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. The sword shall never depart from your house. And remember how Shimei suggested that Absalom rebelling and Absalom fighting David was a consequence of him being a man of blood? The sword did not depart from David's house. Not to mention adultery, it's put on par with bloodshed. And ironically enough, it's Solomon, David's son, David's son who succeeds him, who points this out in Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 35. This is what Solomon has to say. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a merry woman hunts down what? A precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away, for jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. In other words, blood will be shed. Adultery is put on par with bloodshed. I wonder where Solomon learned that. And boy, oh boy, did David face the consequences. And see, not only did he face the consequences, his family suffered because of his choice. I'm not going to read it all, but first, the son he conceived with Bathsheba, it dies. Then his son Amnon rapes his daughter Tamar. Then Absalom, in anger and response, kills Amnon for what he did. And now I would argue Absalom has the right idea. He did something while David just stood by and did nothing. Of course Absalom is angry. Of course Absalom is angry at his father who did nothing to protect Tamar and who did nothing to punish Amnon. And so Absalom rebels. He fights his father, and eventually Absalom dies by the hands of David's top commander. See, look at what happened because of David's sin. Look at what happened because of David's choice. Look at why David is a man of blood. Look at how he ruined his family. And now this is just a sidebar, but I thought it should be made. Parents, you gotta be aware of your choices. You gotta be aware of your actions and how they seriously can affect your children. Just as an example, I, I, we've seen so much on the news of school shootings and these kids, right? You know what you never hear about kids uh, that, that do school shootings? Oh, they grew up in a great household. Their parents were so loving, they were so caring, they always provided. You do not hear that. You hear the opposite they were abusive. They did not care for their children and they did not love their children. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. That is not an excuse for the, the shootings and for those kids and what they do. That is not an excuse, but that is an influence. Parents, you gotta be aware of how your choices and how your actions can seriously affect your children. You have to take responsibility for loving and caring for your children. And so David He suffers consequences because of his own actions, and his family suffers the consequences because of his choice. And David suffers knowing that he is responsible. I remember being taught about David in Bible school as a kid, and it was almost exclusively about how he was a a great king. But when you look at 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 20, we're talking about almost 50% of David's airtime in the Bible. It's bad. See, if David died at the end of chapter 20, he would have ended on the lowest note possible, but he didn't die then. You see, there seems to be some sort of redemption for David in 2 Samuel chapter 21. I'm not going to read it all. I'm not going to read it, but just as a backdrop. For this chapter, see, Israel, they had a treaty with a people called the Gibeonites, and you can see that treaty in Joshua 9 and 10. So they had this treaty, but Saul, the king before David, guess what? He violates that treaty, and he slaughters the Gibeonites. And so God uses David in chapter 21 to atone for what happened to the Gibeonites. Now, that's the nice way of saying it. Seven sons of Saul were given over to the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites executed them. Now, presumably, those sons were also responsible. They held some responsibility for what happened. But this event, this chapter, chapter 21, it kind of seems random. It kind of seems out of place. But I think there's a point here. See, David, David who was a man of blood, David who forcefully took Bathsheba, David who killed Uriah, David who was responsible for the turmoil in his house, this David was used to atone for a people not of Israel. Though being a weak and flawed man, God used David. And I know after hearing all of this, it's kind of hard to, to grasp, kind of hard to understand. Like, how could God use somebody like that? But here's the fact of the matter. He did. He used such a flawed and weak man. see also the Gibeonites again they were not of Israel they were not Israeli they were not God's people and yet God used David a Jew to atone for a people not of Israel where have we heard that before Jesus you know when you think about it David and Jesus they're both men of blood but for very different reasons See, David, he shed the blood of others as he wielded the power of king. David destroyed the kingdom he was over, and David, for the most part, destroyed his family. But Jesus, as a man of blood, shed his own blood for others as he wielded the power as the king. Jesus secured his kingdom forever, and Jesus expanded his family by making us sons and daughters. See, thank the Lord that we have Jesus as our king and messiah, not some earthly king, not like David, who is a, a very flawed man. Thank the Lord we have a heavenly king. See, today I think there are too many self-proclaiming Christians who are still caught up and concerned about earthly leaders and kings. I've literally heard somebody say, Trump is God's man. Are you kidding me? God's man for what? Trump, Biden, Obama, Bush, older Bush, Clinton... <laughs> The list could go on. They are all weak and flawed human beings. They are flawed just like David. See, there is only one man who has done anything for you that means something in the grand scheme of eternity, and that man is Jesus. So proclaim him as your king. See that he is a man of blood because he shed his blood for you. If you have any need, you can come now as we stand and sing.